I don't know if you've recognized it, but these days in our messages, we are indeed on holy ground in this season of Lent. Mike has put together this sermon series, and uh, I just said, Mike, why don't you lead us through Lent? And, and he thought, looking at the promises that Jesus makes to us in the upper room the night he was arrested would move our hearts and, and teach us some things that we did not know and ways that we might live to follow Jesus Christ. These were the last words that Jesus gave to his disciples, and they are so important. And because he gave them to his disciples, he gave them to us as well. So they are incredibly important for us. So before we go any further, let's pray that God would open our hearts and minds, that we would take in all that he has for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and we want to be taught so we want to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn exactly what he would have us know that he tried to teach his disciples that night in the upper room. Promises that have echoed through history and are very real for us. So open our eyes and our hearts that we might live into those promises. If there would be anything that would hinder us, I pray that you would remove it. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would take the words that are written on these pages and write them on our hearts that we would leave here more like Jesus. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now these promises that we're looking at, there are more than just the seven that we've identified. But these promises, it is no surprise that they were made in what's called the upper room. Because in the Bible, very special things happened in high places. If you go to the Old Testament, people went up a mountain to meet, to meet the Lord. In Psalm 121, it says, I look to the hills from where my strength comes from. My strength comes from the Lord. So the fact that these promises are made in the upper room is very significant because these words come to us not only from the mouth and heart of Jesus, but also from God himself. He made promises to them, and uh, these promises, as I shared earlier, are also for us. And, and before he go, is arrested, he prays for us who will believe in him through the disciples. He prayed for the disciples and that those who would come after. And so these are promises that they were to live into. And these are promises that we are to live into. Now I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to change directions for just a second. Because I want to give us an understanding of why in the world we come together on this day to worship. Why we come, not only to worship, but why we gather in this place called a church. Now, we gather, everyone comes into the church on, say, the first floor. So let's call these the first floor, the lower room principles as to why 
we come here. It was, uh, studies have been made, what draws people to the church, what, what kind of keeps people in the church. And the study came up that there were four main things, four things that draw us and four things that kind of help us to feel comfortable while we are here. The first thing is the place. We are comfortable in going to a place. For many in this room, you've been coming to this place for a long time. Some of you are coming here because your parents came here. And this is the place where it feels like we, you, meet the Lord. The place. It's, for others, convenient. It is uh, the services aren't too long. The cushion is pretty soft. Nobody's fighting me to sit where I sit. The place is good, so I keep coming back. Now, the, the, the study found that the second reason people come to church is because of the personality or the pastor or pastors up front. That they like, enjoy, feel comfortable connecting with the pastors. That, so it's the place, it's the pastor. And then other people come to church because of the programs. That they, their children like what's happening in children's ministry. Their, their teenagers like what's happening in the student ministry. There's a, a maxi program for those who are the most experienced in the congregation. There are prayer groups and there are Bible studies. And, and so folks come to church because they like the program. The service is about an hour, depending on who's preaching. And, uh, um, and the fourth reason that they found that people like to come to church is the people. They connect with others who are here. In fact, they, you, you might have invited somebody to come and, and, to, and to sit with you and to enjoy or experience this worship experience together. And, and, and so those are the four reasons and, and probably one of those four or several of those four brought you here initially. And since they brought you here, you want a consistency in those four things. But here's the deal. In the upper room, Jesus didn't promise those disciples any of those four things. Next slide. Jesus didn't promise that there'd be great buildings, great places to come. He never mentioned it. He didn't say, oh, there are going to be great preachers. Some of them will be on the internet. And uh, eventually, because of a, you know, a pandemic, everybody will be on the internet. But, but there will be great preachers. He didn't promise either of those. In the upper room, he didn't say, one day these places and these pastors are going to have great programs and, and uh, great things for you to do in the building. And, and uh, he didn't promise that either. And he didn't even promise that there would be great people that you would be sitting beside. 
experiencing the great programs. But, but here's, and, and, and I'm no different. When you go to a church and expect these things and they don't happen, that Sunday was kind of a bummer. They didn't sing my song. They said the Nicene Creed instead of the Apostles' Creed and it didn't feel right. The pastor did this or did that or it was that student ministry Sunday and they had the kids up front and I wish I had known because I would have gone somewhere else. We judge our worship experience on Sunday morning lots of times on how these boxes get checked. But Jesus doesn't promise us those things. So what is it that we're supposed to do and be when we get here? What are we to look forward to if it's not these things? What did Jesus tell him in the upper room? I'm so glad we're looking at the promises in the upper room. Mike first took us to Jesus saying to the disciples in the upper room, I give you a new covenant. There's a new agreement that we have. And when we get together, I'm going to remind you of that new agreement. And you know what that agreement is? Even if you don't keep your part of the bargain in your faith in God, he keeps his part of the bargain by holding you close and loving you in spite of what we find ourselves doing. You see, the old covenant was the law. If you did this, then God would do this. If you do this, then God would do this. And things would go well. And if you didn't do this, things would go bad. But Jesus says, I give you a new covenant. And he took us to, to Genesis 15, where we looked and, and the smoking fire pot, that, that walking between the dead animals, something I'd love to do at a wedding. The idea of, of, of that is you cut animals in half and you walk through them saying that if I don't keep my part of the bargain, may what happened to these animals happen to me. Wouldn't that be great at a wedding? <laughs> but when Abraham was going to walk through, God put him to sleep, and God walked through making the promise. That meant that only God had to keep his end of the bargain. That's the new covenant. We should be here celebrating that no matter what happened last week, we are dearly loved by God. The second thing that Mike did, he says, I give you a new commandment. The old commandment, you love others the way you love yourself. Well, if the truth be told, most of us don't have that high opinion of ourselves because we know ourselves. But he says, no, I don't want that to be the standard. I want my love, my sacrificial love, be the way you love. So when you come to this place, you don't come to say, what can I get from everybody? But how can I give as I have been given by Jesus Christ? And then last week, the third promise, talked about joy. 
the joy of the Lord that wells up inside in spite of what's happening on the outside because those things on the outside don't have the last word. God does. And we are his. And we come to celebrate that and to celebrate what God is doing in our lives. That's why we gather. And then today, today the next promise that he gives us is that you will never ever by faith in Jesus Christ, you will never, ever be alone. In fact, he will send one who will be called the helper that will be with you no matter what. No matter what. Now, why would he give this promise? He's going away. And they will be without him. And that's a scary thought. So he says, I'm not leaving you. I'm giving you another helper. One, that word another in the, in, in the Greek means just like me. I'm giving you one like me. So you will never be alone. And you will be empowered to do what I have set forth for you to do. And so let's look at that promise of this helper. It's found in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. And Jesus says to the disciples, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, another counselor to be with you forever, forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This helper, this counselor in the Greek is parakaleo is, is that fancy word. Para means to come alongside. Kaleo means called. I am sending one who is called to come alongside of you. The Holy Spirit. Not an it, but a person. Third person of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And as we've talked before, if you go to the Council of Nicaea and understand those little words, homoousius, same stuff, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the same stuff. And so Jesus can send another like him because the Holy Spirit is homoousius with Jesus, the same stuff. But he makes this promise. Not only with this Holy Spirit be with you, but will be in you. I think that's the next slide. Will be in you. Does it light up yellow? Okay. It didn't transfer. But I want you to see those, that last sentence. You know him for he dwells with you. But and will be in you. This is a radical, a radical thing. You, you know, the, this word dwell is, is all through the Bible. And we have a progression in the Old Testament when God speaks to Moses, Mo, at, at the burning bush. He says this, Exodus 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel who are in bondage to the Egyptians, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians and I will deliver you 
I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And then he gives this promise. In Exodus 29, I will dwell among the people of Israel. I will be their God and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell amongst them. This was unheard of in the culture of the day. God's lived in far high places and he is saying, I'm going to come and when you camp, in, in the wilderness, I will dwell in your midst. I will be in the tent of meeting in the midst of you. I will be with you. I will dwell with you. You can count on me. I'm going before you. I'm, I've got your back. I'll be behind you. I am in your midst. And then Jesus comes along. And one of the verses that we celebrate at Christmas comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word, we know that to be Jesus, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I even love what the message, it's a paraphrase of the scriptures, says this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Moved into our neighborhood. We saw the, the glory with our own eyes. The one of a kind glory, like father, like son. Generous, inside and out, true from start to finish. So you have in the Old Testament, God dwelling in a tent in the midst of all the other tents. You have in the New Testament, Jesus leaving heaven's throne, coming down and dwelling, living amongst us, became like us to live amongst us. And then the Holy Spirit, who is the presence of the Father and the Son with us. John 14, 16 to 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Do you see what is God has gone from a tent in the middle of the camp that only Moses could go in but he was present there. To Jesus coming and dwelling amongst us where we could talk. He could be touched and talked and seen. To now the Holy Spirit, God's presence, not only with us, but inside of us. Inside of us. It is a game changer. Now in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon people for a time but then to accomplish a task. And when that task was over, the Spirit would leave them and they would be without the Spirit and without power. If you wanted to experience the, the presence of God, you had to go to the temple. 
And if you really wanted to experience God, you had to go to the holies of holies into his very presence. And the amazing thing is that presence of God is now inside. You name Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you, present in you. So how powerful should the Spirit be in our lives? John 14, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit will instruct. The Holy Spirit will guide. The Holy Spirit will teach. The Holy Spirit will empower. The Holy Spirit will bring peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So where is it that we get the power to do what God has designed us and called us to do? Do we get it because we try real hard to do the right things? No, because we fail. I fail miserably when that happens. We have the power through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do we know that? Do we rely on the Holy Spirit? Do we trust the Holy Spirit? Are we willing to step out knowing that the Holy Spirit resides in us? I love what Jesus continues to say on that night, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and even greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. You and I are promised to do greater things than Jesus did. Jesus did what he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have that same Holy Spirit. And we have opportunities in our culture, to touch and infect and infect the lives of lots of folks. And by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, who is transforming us to be more like Christ and empowering us to do Christ-like things. Do you believe it? Most of the church is doubtful. You know, Jesus, in some ways, if he was writing his will that night, he'd give his heart and his soul to the Father. I, I give you my heart, my soul. He would probably will his clothes to those soldiers that were going to gamble for them. Maybe he willed his body to Joseph of Arimathea, who would then take his body and put it in his tomb. He certainly willed the care of his mom to John, the disciple. What did he will to the disciples? He didn't have money. He didn't have silver and gold. What he gave his disciples was the Holy Spirit. What he gives to us is the Holy Spirit, the helper. 
Now, I, I'm, I'm spending this week wrestling with how do I communicate that to me? What, what does that look like? What does that feel like? How, how can I even comprehend if I have the Holy Spirit in me and, and God is calling me to, to, to step forward and do things that I, I can't really do on my own? What would that look like? And then I came across a video about Patrick Henry Hughes. Didn't know about Patrick Henry Hughes. Patrick Henry was born without eyes. He just had sockets. Patrick Henry Hughes was born with legs that could not function, would never support his weight. Patrick Henry Hughes was born with arms that could do nothing else than pretty much this. So does, how does a blind where doctors put artificial eyes at birth or when he was very young and a guy who cannot walk and who can't move his arms any more than this, how does he become a member of the University of Louisville marching band? How can that happen? It happens like this. By the time he arrived at the University of Louisville this year, his musical ability on piano as well as trumpet was well known throughout the city. I said, Patrick, you need to be a part of the marching band. And their reaction was um, just a little bit of a pause. My dad and I are hearing this and we're like, uh, right. I mean, how in the heck am I supposed to march? The next step was working out what we needed to make happen in order for Patrick to be involved in the marching band, other than just parking on the sidelines and playing his instrument. I said, well, if Dr. Burns that impassioned about it and Patrick wants to do it, then by golly, I'll give it my all as well. So it was decided Patrick would play and Dad would push. As part of the 214-member Louisville Marching Band, a blind and wheelchair-bound trumpet player and his able-bodied father do it all together. From the pre-game drill practice to the march around the stadium to the halftime performance in front of thousands. Dad rolls and rotates his son across the field in mostly perfect formation. He'll sometimes end up pushing me a little quicker than normal, so that pretty much means, hey, he must have done something wrong, so he's got to hurry up to get me to the right spot. Dip. Spin. In order to be at every band practice. I'm too slow on the spin. And to sit beside his son in every class. Question? Yes. How do you come up with all the... Patrick's father works the graveyard shift for UPS. How would you describe a work day for your dad? Poor thing. Uh, he goes to work about 11 o'clock at night, Monday through Thursday nights, and then gets in at about 6 and, and goes to bed at about 6 and sleeps till around 11. By the time Patrick moves from his bed into his wheelchair each morning, 
Dad is ready to begin their day together. He's, he's my hero. I've told him before. Uh, what he goes through, it's taught me that I don't really have any complaints. I guess a father couldn't ask for, for any more than, than the relationship that I have with Patrick. God made me blind and unable to walk, big deal. He gave me the ability to, the musical gifts I have and the great opportunity to meet new people. That's your fans, buddy. Maybe when they hear him play, they recognize, wow, you know, imagine the possibilities I didn't even consider when I saw this young man that I now know from hearing him play. Imagine the possibilities. Imagine the possibilities of us that feel kind of blind to what God would really have us do. Imagine the possibilities of, for us who find ourselves not being able to, to walk in the ways that he would have us walk. Imagine the possibilities of being able to do what we have called to do when we don't know that it's in us to be able to do us, to do that. I love this picture. I love the love of a father who equips his son to do more than he could ever imagine doing. And our Heavenly Father has given us a Holy Spirit to care for each other, to to know his word, to speak his truth in a world that has lost the understanding what truth is about. Not a God who stands distant, but a God who resides in us. Do we trust in his presence and his power? You, you see, he is present. If you name Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, he is present. And, and we are like this fan that has so much capability to do what it's designed to do. But without power, it's a doorstop in my office. But plug it into a power source and it begins to do what it was created to do. The same is true for you and me. The Spirit of God is inside of us, this power source that as we read the Scriptures will open our eyes to things we could never see would show us how to care for people in ways that we couldn't imagine caring for them. Would empower us to speak truth in a world that longs to hear it. We come to worship because the Spirit of God brings us together to be with each other, to celebrate, to encourage 
to open our eyes to all the possibilities. Imagine what that would be like if we trusted in his presence in our lives. You think about that. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we take so many things for granted and can't believe. We know our limitations and we're imprisoned by them. But you've given the disciples your Holy Spirit and they, trans, they turned the world upside down. Twelve turned the world upside down through the power of your Holy Spirit as the church grew. Lord, may we live into the promise of your helper, your Holy Spirit, your presence in our lives. If there's anyone here who's never trusted you to be their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would do it today and that you would not only open their eyes by the Holy Spirit, but you would empower them to do things they could only imagine. Lord, thank you for the upper room promises. May we live into all of them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.